Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Steph from Heinemann, and this week on the Heinemann Podcast, we're excited to bring you the second of three special minisodes and invite you all into the conversations of the Heinemann Summer Book Study, hosted in the Heinemann PD Teaching and Learning Facebook group. This year, we're hosting a conversation on two books with intersecting themes, Kids First from Day One by Christine Hertz and Christine Mraz, and Being the Change by Sarah Ahmed. Our book study facilitator, Jacqueline Karabinas, sat down with Amy Clark, a Heinemann Fellow from Cohort 1, to continue our conversation on this week's theme, Growing Socially Literate Citizens. Thanks for being here today, Amy. The first thing I wanted to talk about is from Being the Change by Sarah Ahmed. She talks about the idea of being candid, and she says in her book that candor requires self-awareness and sincerity that isn't always easy and doesn't always feel good in the moment. So I wanted to see if you could talk about that in your life, professionally and personally. Sure. Um, You know, candor, it's hard because it requires like vulnerability and total honesty. And I think as teachers, especially that that can feel difficult because we're the people who are supposed to have all the knowledge. And sometimes candor requires you to admit to things that display that maybe you don't have all the knowledge that maybe you made a mistake. And I I don't know, for me, I kind of swim around in that discomfort pretty freely and readily because uh, I I don't know, I guess I've always kind of grown up knowing that making mistakes is how we learn and it's okay to admit that. So when I'm in my classroom, I know that when I'm sharing information with my students, whether it's a story, because I think storytelling helps when it comes to candor. And I think Sarah talks about that. Whether I'm sharing a story or I am saying, hey, look, you know, I thought that this thing that we're learning about was going to go really well if we discussed it this way, but I think maybe we need to try it a different way. I think I was wrong. It shows them that, you know, it's okay to make a mistake. And when when you're vulnerable in that way and, you know, you're human with your kids, they can be candid as well. They don't have to try to please the teacher as much. They can be themselves and it gives them some freedom to do that. I think it's really interesting because I see overlap and what Christy and Christine talk about in Kids First from Day One, the idea of, you know, it's all about mindset. You know, mindset's really important when it comes to to candor because if you have the mindset that it's okay to to make a mistake, it's okay to, to learn alongside with your kids and you're willing to take the risks and to change, then it sets up the ability for your students to be candid as well. It's agency building to me. When we're able to be honest, it's empowering. And if we can give that to our kids, man, that's a pretty awesome gift. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you talk a lot about modeling it yourself. When you bring that into the classroom, it almost, it gives them permission to know that this is what we do. You know, we learn from mistakes. We're honest. We make, make mistakes. And it's hard. And I think it opens up the conversations, too, with kids to say, I made a mistake, but is my discomfort really the end of the world? It's not. Um, Your own discomfort, you can get past that. And your learning may actually, you know, the learning that you have in that moment will be way more powerful in the long run than avoiding that discomfort. 
Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I'm honest with my kids. I tell them, you know, where I come from, that my dad was an indigent defender and that, you know, that's shaped the way I see the world and, and to let them know that I know that there are experiences and mentors in their life who've shaped the way that they see the world too. And, and that's okay that, that we respect that. You know, I don't think I have to hide who I am from my kids. I think that's part of being candid. And, and I think it's, it's important to be able to share those things with them. You know, I've also shared with them kind of this journey that I've been on in the last few years in becoming aware of my own bias and, you know, in encouraging my students to kind of have more civil discourse and working on that in my class. It's not easy to have those conversations and, and you know, Sarah talks a lot about that and so do Christine and Christine. Um, it's not easy to enter into those conversations and I know going in, I'm going to make mistakes and I can see it on my students' faces when I've lingered somewhere on the wrong way or, or something has come out in the way that it shouldn't have or, or we've done something and I could have done it in a way that maybe didn't make them feel alienated. To me, those are the most difficult moments of being candid because I have to kind of own that what I'm doing in the classroom is really shaping these kids. And when we're talking about social comprehension, that's big. And so to be able to come in the next day and say, you know, I feel like this conversation went a direction that I didn't really intend for it to, and I want to apologize. I want to explain where my thinking was, and, and, and let's see if we can reroute it. I think that's incredibly important, but to own that is hard. You know, I, I can own mistakes when they affect me, but having to see the truth of what I'm doing in a room full of kids is difficult, but I feel like if I don't, the damage is far greater than just admitting and trying to find a way to move forward together. I, I think they crave that too. I think they crave those moments where they see their teacher as human and they're reminded yeah. that you're human too. And it, when they don't hear that modeling of you saying, here's what I said and here was my thinking and now I realize why this may have not um, come across as intended. In the book study, we've been talking a lot about intent versus impact and I feel like that pattern of com continuously returning to the idea of intent versus impact in everything we do, in our conversations, in our word choices, in the materials we're choosing, instructional decisions we're making, all of those things allow us to reflect on the choices that we're making and owning up to the mistakes that we make when, when we're wrong. And we look back at that impact and realize it wasn't exactly um, what, we, what we had hoped for. Right. Now, I tell my kids all the time, you know, it doesn't matter if you didn't intend to hurt someone or you didn't intend to say something that way. It doesn't matter if you meant it all the best or if you were just joking. The impact is real. It doesn't matter if you meant it that way or not. If someone is hurt because of it or something didn't go the right way because of it, the impact is still valid. That's a hard thing for kids to get sometimes because they get really stuck in intent. Well, I didn't mean it like that, but they learning that the impact is valid, whether we meant it or not, is critical, I think. It starts young. I actually just had a conversation with my daughter this morning. We were playing Guess Who? And when I said the name of, of my character or the person on my board, she said, that's a weird name. And when we had that conversation, she said, well... I just meant I didn't really ever know that word before. And, you know, she's five, so I realize that, you know, the, this is what it looks like for a five-year-old, but I might also have that same conversation with an adult. An adult might easily react to something like a name, a name that's different for them in a similar way, but that's the social comprehension. That's realizing the way that you react has an impact on people. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, I start when I was teaching the 10th grade, I'd start every year by reading the picture book Normal Norman with them because it would give us the chance to talk just about just that, you know, this idea that we use this word normal all of the time. And, you know, high school, I teach high school. So high school kids, they're desperately trying to figure out who they are and trying on new identities pretty regularly and just wanting to be accepted for themselves. Uh, and I think even to just accept themselves and to have the freedom to be released from words like normal and weird it's pretty powerful. I know I've talked to my own children, my young kids, about words like weird and, and how we, we look at the world and how things could be perceived because they say and do things innocently and don't realize. And if, a, if someone doesn't have a conversation with them to say, hey, you know, that could really hurt someone's feelings or why, why do you think it's like that, you know, it gives them a different opportunity. My youngest son used to, I'm sure he'd hate me for telling you this story, he used to yell at the TV when football was on that the players were playing like girls. So we had to have a conversation like, you know, you can't use the word girl as an insult. It's not okay to do that. And I think he was like seven at the time, maybe six. <laughs> but it was an important conversation, and, and he knows that it's not okay, and he understands why. Right, and in our language choices matter, and I feel like that is the, that's the number one place where I find myself building more and more bravery every day in conversations with family members, with friends, with, with anyone about word choices and when we use them and why. And there are some seemingly obvious ones, like the one you just described, but you know there are other ones that you only learn if someone mentions it. Somebody may, might say, "Oh, I never right. thought of that before." And so that's that's that candor, you know, that we've been talking about. Is you have to, I mean, you have to be brave to speak up, but you know your discomfort will pass, and it's not really about you anyway. <laughs> it's not really about how we feel in that moment. It's about the impact it will have on others. Well, and it's it's so true. I, I mean, you're exactly right. And and having that courage to speak up is is important. I find myself really listening to my students because they're super smart kids, you know, and and they're aware of the world around them in ways that I think a lot of adults aren't all of the time. They're really tuned into what's going on in the world and to, to what's happening, and not always from a certain perspective. Um, and so when I hear them talk and I hear their choice of words. You know, it makes me curious. It makes me ask some questions about, well, why would you say it like that instead of like this? It also makes me feel old, you know, because <laughs> I have to keep up with the way things are. But, you know, to be able to listen and to ask questions and to understand kind of where we are in the world today and, and how we should be treating people it is important. In Kids First from Day One, towards the very beginning of the book, they say, what we live is what we teach. And I wrote that down today because I feel like that really connects to what we're talking about. The way we live our lives every day outside of the school is how we will live our lives inside the classroom or how we should live our lives inside the classroom. And so I didn't know if you could share any examples of things that maybe you've tried or done outside of the classroom that you've been able to bring to your students. I can speak to that in, in this way. I know that I'm I'm just myself all of the time and I don't exclude I don't exclude my students from that. And what I mean by that is, you know, they know me as a human being, they don't know me just as a teacher. And I think that's incredibly important because then I'm part of the community and I'm not in charge of the community. I'm not, you know, like an elected official, you know, I I we all have a voice in the classroom and we're all human beings. And they get to see that, you know, my students know I'm a reader and they know if I see an article about something that 
might interest them or that got me really thinking, I'm going to bring that into the classroom. I'm a curious person. And they're always surprised, I think, because the things that I end up revealing that made me curious are not what they would expect of a high school English teacher. You know, I'm married to an engineer, so there's scientific topics that make me curious. And I think that's surprising, but I also think to them, but I think it's also really cool to show them that, you know, you don't just have to be an English person or a math person or a science person. And so, you know, just bringing in that well-rounded or what I hope is well-rounded side of myself into the classroom is important. In Being the Change, one of the examples she gives is using the poem, Sure, You Can Ask Me a Personal Question by Diane Burns. And I wondered if you had ever worked with that poem or used that with your students. Okay, I haven't used that poem with my students, okay. but I've used several poems with my students. Honestly, I wrote down when I read that, I'm like, ooh, I have to use this. And I thought of like five different poems I could connect it to. It would work really well, I think, with Namishiev Nye's Kindness and with several other poems that I've used in the classroom. I think I can speak to the fact that I think poetry is such an amazing tool when it comes to, and I hate to use poetry and school in the same sentence, but it's true when it comes to social comprehension because it allows kids, without being overwhelmed with words on the page and details and information, to fully understand the perspective and the impact of someone else's experience or, or the experience of someone else. But it also allows them to find themselves very quickly in a piece of writing. They really can discover, like, wait, I'm not alone. Wait, someone else has felt this. Wait, I've been trying to figure out what it was I was feeling when people say these things to me, and this person just named it for me, right? So I think poetry is a real gift in that way. It allows us to, to empathize with other people, to, to listen to their voice without being overwhelmed in an article or in a, a longer piece or in a book, without feeling pointed at or having to own it for too long, we can see it. We can start to own where our bias is located. And then we can start to, like what Sarah talks about with, you know, clicking into system two, where we start to maybe check our assumptions, but we can also see ourselves. I don't know. I just think poetry is the best for that. Our thanks to Jacqueline and Amy for their time today. You can join our summer book study conversation by searching for the Heinemann PD Teaching and Learning Facebook group. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can leave a comment or review. We're also now streaming on Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our various Facebook groups. Thanks for listening.